Anybody travel that kind of road to get to church today? You know you're committed, right, if you're traveling that path. How you guys doing, okay? Little low energy? Loss of sleep? Yeah? <laughs> you know what, you may not have noticed this because of the weather we had this last week, but uh, it's still one more week until winter's over. Did you know that? We got one more week of winter, so uh, despite the weather, I'm kind of fearful that another blast from the winter world is going to hit us before it ends. Uh, speaking of ending, I know that a lot of folks... F- Favorite parts of a Sunday message is the ending. You ask them, hey, what would you like best about that sermon? What would you like best about that message? I loved it when it ended, when it was over. Okay, well, get excited because the next two weeks, Jesus is finally wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be talking about what he's talking about uh, the last two weeks here. And as Jesus begins to end this whole message he's been doing in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's going to, well, he's going to do more than invite a response. He's going to actually demand a response. Uh, that's more than just, hey, I, l- I liked your sermon, I liked Jesus when it ended, that's cool. He's going to require an actual RSVP to this invitation he's been making for us to be a part of the kingdom, because Jesus does not just give us a little talk so we would have a little more information. He wants us to kind of stop in our tracks, ask ourselves some really difficult questions about ourselves uh, like this, what, what am I really doing w- with my life? What, what do I truly, genuinely believe I'm living for? What, what road am I really on? Will this road I'm living on, where, where will it lead? What's the final destination? We're going to be kind of having to ponder that question uh, Incubus Song forces us to do, is who is actually driving on this road? So let me just pray for our time, and then we'll sort of see what God has for us in these three powerful verses. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love for us. We ask that you would open our minds and our hearts, that you would be planted in there, that you would descend on us, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, teach us, you would convict us, convince us, persuade us uh, to come alongside. And we ask that we might behold wondrous things out of your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, if you're following along in your apps or whatever, starting in verse 12, here's what you see. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, if you take the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, kind of boil it all down to a simple rule of life, that's kind of what you get. What what you would like done to you, do to others. Jesus goes on. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus is telling us, hope you picked that up, that we are all headed someplace, a a somewhere that ends with some kind of a a judgment uh, that leads either to life or or toward a destruction. We're walking through life, we come to a fork in the road, and there's one road that has a very broad gate, and the masses are pouring through that particular gate onto a road that looks relatively easy. Okay, maybe it's straight, maybe it's got a few curves, but it's, it's pretty simple. Lots of wiggle room on that road. Everyone seems to be having a great time on, on that road. No potholes, smooth sailing. Now, the other road has this little kind of skinny gate. People only get through that one one at a time. Not many people taking this gate because they can see through the gate and it looks like that road looks a little treacherous, maybe like some of the ones we saw up here on the screen. Got some challenges to it, some difficulties. Maybe it's got some steep climbs sheer drop-offs. Maybe it's rutted and bumpy. Maybe it's potholed like the streets of D.C. in that way. Jesus says that there's these two gates, 
and two roads, and those produce two crowds with two vastly different final destinations. And each road ends with a reckoning, right? Of course, Jesus ultimately is speaking here about eternity of heaven and, and hell. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about hell and it's very unloving. You get screeched at from the street corners or whatever. Uh, but, but Jesus spoke about hell and heaven and judgment kind of a lot. It's, I don't think it's unloving for Jesus to do that. I, th- I think it would be more unloving for him to know that it's coming and never actually <laughs> mention it to us, right? So he tells us, and yeah, we really don't like as people to ponder that stuff. So we try to fill our time with noise to drown that out, you know, TV and movies and video games and sports and finance and fitness and fashion and food and drink and sex and hobbies and vacations and weekends away, you know, all about not to have to think about what is actually coming at us down the road that we're on. And Jesus says, look, I'm inviting you through this whole passage here into a life of meaning and purpose and joy, kind of right here on earth. But ultimately, you're going to end up with new heavens and new earth where everything's made new. You know, no, no tears, no more sin, no more suffering, no more weakness, no more frailty, no more poverty, no more oppression, no more cruelty, no more death, no more Satan. And he's kind of forcing out of us a decision. So as we listen to what Jesus has, kind of goes through his process here, we're going to mention four things he kind of highlights here. The first one is this. The the gate of life that Jesus is kind of wooing us to take that looks like a little bit challenging, it is narrow. If you're going to have life, Jesus says, and life to the fullest, that's what he's talking about, you've got to embrace a kind of a narrow way, right? Now, nobody wants to be considered narrow-minded, right? Nobody strives for that. So, but Jesus is talking about kind of entering through this narrow gate. I was checking out a message by uh, a guy that we, we like here, Tim Keller, uh, pastor up at Presbyterian Church in New York City in Manhattan. He did a, passage, uh, a message on this passage, and he's, he talks about how if, you're, if you, you, you're going to excel at something in your life, you're going to have to narrow your focus. For example, we've, had, we've been blessed to have some really great people up here on stage playing in our band. I'm not one of them, but they let me play because they're merciful. That's awesome, right? But uh, Karen Reese plays harp. For the Marine Corps band, probably one of the top harpists in the country. She would never say so, but we can. She's the go-to person for the White House. Trust me, for Karen to be this good, at some point in her life, she had to decide to narrow her focus. At some point, she had to decide, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be able to play Xbox eight hours a day and still be a great musician, right? If you want to excel at school, you, you've got to not party all the time. You've got to not study ever. And you expect to ace every class. That's not going to happen for you. You're going to have to restrict yourself, to narrow yourself. If, if you're going to excel in your own personal finances, narrowing has to happen, does it not? I mean, you cannot take a two-week vacation every month, right? My daughter, Lindsay, uh, was a crack swimmer with a, a, a God's gift of a swimmer's body, tall, lean, feet like flippers, long arms, fast as the wind, All her coaches pushed her to really focus on swimming because they were convinced she could be something spectacular in the water. And she knew she'd have to focus. So she had a choice to make, no way to avoid that. She decided to focus just on something different. She kind of surprised them all. She gave up competitive swimming to make sure she had time for friends, for God, and for the church youth group. She she chose the narrow gate. And now that she's a young mother, 
what a mature young woman of Christ she's turned out to be. She, she knows who she is in Christ. She knows what's really going on in this world. And she is a force for Jesus pushing back the darkness. And folks, here's, here's an aside, if you'll permit me. We probably have enough teens in this church to start a tremendous youth group. We're looking to make it as easy as we can. We've been trying to fit it into your schedules, right? But you're going to have to narrow your focus to make that happen. We thought about Sunday, every other Sunday at the barn at 5 o'clock. One group, the parents can do their thing and the teens can do their things. Uh, we're also even thinking about maybe just here on Sunday morning, grabbing the kids, taking them over to Claire and Don's and hanging out there. So, uh, but that's going to require some commitment on your part to get the kids here. How about you encourage them, your parents, right? Be a parent. Encourage them to focus their energies a little bit. Maybe there's something more important than simply buttressing their resumes for college. Or maybe something that would give them an edge to avoid all the stupid, damaging, painful things the world's teens are making at high school and college in our world. I'm just saying it. Narrowing has to happen for that to occur. And Jesus is talking primarily about focusing our, our attention on him. You, you, you can't, I mean, this is scary, but Jesus says you cannot end up with the final destination of life if you place it anywhere else. You need to just check out all the I am statements in the book of John, where Jesus says this, I'm the, I'm the bread of life. You, you come to me, you'll never hunger or thirst. I'm the, I'm the door. You, you walk through me and you'll have eternal life. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll never really die. I'm the light of the world. You believe in me and you'll never stumble around in darkness. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But if you don't come to him, you get none of that. And you'll likely ruin and wreck your life here. And it will not go well for you in that final destination. Notice, Jesus only talks about two ultimate destinations through two gates and, and two roads, only, only two. There's not three or four or 25. It's hit or miss, black and white. There's no third way, Jesus says. You either believe in me or you reject me. And not to believe is to reject. You either come to me or you walk away from me. Now look, I know this makes people uncomfortable because our world loves the wide gate, right? It loves the wide road. You, you, you live and let live. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, and it's all good. I, I can believe what I want to believe, and you can believe what you want to believe, and it's all awesome. You can believe your truth, and I can believe my truth. We, we want a pluralistic, broad, wide gate and happy road. Now, as good as that all sounds, does that gate really work all that well in matters of facts? Does anybody go there in history class? Geography class? Does anyone get away with saying, you know, well, I know that the textbook says that Richmond is the capital of Virginia. But for me, capital's Herndon. I just sincerely feel that way. Anybody get away with that? Nobody does that. Why? Because we're operating in those classes in terms of facts, and facts are verifiable. I can't just claim a fact to be a fact if, in fact, the fact is wrong, Herndon is the capital of Virginia, does not work. Now, I get it beyond facts. There are values. Right? You, can, you can say your favorite color is red, and I can say mine is blue, and we can sort of value the colors of red and blue differently, and it's all good. You can value certain foods more than I do. I may not like the same things you like, and we can say, okay, we value them differently, and that's okay. 
But facts don't work like that. You, you can't try working that system out in math. Not going to work. Math exists in the realm of fact. And two plus two is four. Whether you like it or not, it's still four. Whether you happen to be comfortable with it, it's still four. Whether you prefer some other answer to two plus two, doesn't matter. So we need to grasp this. Jesus' claims are actually about historical facts, not values. That Jesus was a literal person who made literal claims about himself who performed literal miracles, who was literally crucified, literally buried, literally raised from the dead, and literally claimed that salvation was possible through no one else but him. And he relies on those facts to buttress his claims. And those, tests have, those claims have been tested and stood up under scrutiny and evaluation. So to say that Jesus is the narrow gate, is it narrow? Is it exclusive? Is it intolerant? Well, I would argue yes and no. No, because Jesus is saying that, that, that this grace he's making is available to everybody. But yeah, fact, it only comes through him. Grace for everybody, but fact, it only comes through Christ. Salvation is found in fact, no one else but him, but it's available to anyone in the world who would have him. Only one Savior, but everybody can have him as the Savior. Doesn't matter what race, what ethnicity, what background, what you've done in the past, what you might do in the future. Jesus is a savior for all and all can have him who would choose to have him. So it's a narrow gate. The gate on the road that leads with life is narrow and it's a fact. And no one enters it except by Christ. And that's a fact according to Christ. I think the second thing that Jesus would have us see is this. The way to life is actually challenging. It's actually difficult. I think every illustration, if you kind of parse it completely, breaks down a little bit. Even this one that Jesus gives, he talks about us choosing between a broad gate and a narrow gate, right? An easy road and a hard road. But if you read everything else that Jesus says, and you read a whole rest of the Bible, here's what you kind of discover. We are not born at neutral. And then stumble upon these two choices, these two gates, these two roads. Really, we find that we have been born having already gone through the broad gate. We're already traveling on the broad road. We're all born sinful people, naturally inclined to be in rebellion against God and to want to be the God of our own lives, right? So the reason Jesus says this broad gate and wide gate is so easy is because we're already there. We were born on it. And nothing really has to change for us to stay there. We just keep running downhill. You live how you want to live. There's an easiness to that, Jesus says. Now, the ultimate consequences of it are devastating, but there's an easiness to it. See, our problem is this. We happen to think that we're in charge, that we're the masters of our fates and the captains of our souls, right? But we know from the counterintelligence series we just did last fall that the wide gate and the broad road is actually under the domain of Satan himself, and he runs this world system to make everything as impossible as possible for you to understand that he is actually doing that and to keep you as far away from Christ as he can. So the way to life is difficult. And why is that? Because it runs against the grain of our natural desires to have our own way and to live how we want to. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on this passage, he likens this narrow gate to a turnstile. Now, he would have, that would have made sense to him because he was preaching in London and he was very familiar with the tube, which is what they call the metro there. And he would have seen people trying to navigate the turnstiles, right? On the tube, a turnstile is only wide enough for you to get through. 
And if you've got a whole bunch of luggage you're trying to bring through, you ain't going through that turnstile. I've been there, you're not going to go it. If you want to get through to the metro, the subway, you've got to go around the side, you've got to get an operator's attention, you have to have him open this very wide gate so you can drag all your luggage through. Right? And Jesus is saying, well, the broad gate and the broad road allows you to drag a lot of stuff with you. You can hold on to your own deep-seated personal preferences, your own self-autonomy, your own self-rule. But if you're going to go through the narrow gate, you leave all that baggage behind, the baggage of being your own boss, doing whatever you want, whenever you want. That's why the narrow way is so difficult, because it means that to walk this narrow way means that for your whole life, you are choosing to side with Jesus against your own natural sinful instincts. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to and demanding a response to. And seriously, if we go back and think about the 16 messages we've done on this so far, isn't that what Jesus has been talking about the whole long, long, long time? Somebody smacks you in the face. What's your natural inclination? Well, you want to, you, you want to retaliate. But Jesus says, no, no, I know that that's your way. That's your way. But I want you to do my way, which is I want you to, I want you to, I want you to move against what you would naturally do and walk in my way, which means that you, you don't retaliate. You actually turn the other cheek. You forgive them, right? When you've made a promise and you find out that that promise is going to really cost you, what's our natural inclination? Well, we want to we wanna bag. We want to bag it. We want to bail. And Jesus says, yeah, I get that. That's kind of where your bent is. I get that. That's what you're naturally inclined to do. But you know what? I want you to follow my way. My way is that you keep your word even though it's costly. So be true to your word. Isn't it our way to want to vent every sexual desire we have fully? Jesus says, yeah, I get it that that's your way. I totally understand that that's your way, but if you're going to follow me, you're going to put aside yours. You're going you're to put aside your natural instincts. You're going to follow my way and accept my vision for sexuality. Bring your sexuality under my lordship and trust me that doing so will produce flourishing in your life. That's, that's why this is such a difficult road. Full of promises, full of blessings, full of Jesus. He's there. He's on the road with us. But it's full of constantly being asked to die to ourselves, renouncing the right to be lords over our own lives and letting Christ be the one that's in charge, trusting that he's got something far better for us with our lives than we have for our lives. This is what it means to be a Christian. Ray Ortland did a blog recently where he talked about what it means to accept Christ. He said, our hearts are like a boardroom. There's a big table in the boardroom, and there's chairs all around the boardroom. And around the table are, 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 are elements of ourselves. There's a personal self, and there's the private self, you know, who we are when nobody's looking. There's a work self, our sexual self, our, our recreational self, right? And all these selves are constantly voting and, and debating over what we should do and how we should live our lives. And, and some people think that, that being a Christian means that you invite Christ into the table to have a vote. And Ortland says... No, no, that's not Christianity. Christianity is, my life is not working. I have fired all the board members, and I hand myself over to Jesus. Lord, you run the show. You, 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 run the, you, you told me what to do, and I'm going to do it. Show me how it works to be in your way. That's the hard road. People say, I'm firing myself. I'm renouncing me as the person in charge. I'll walk this hard road siding with Christ against my own natural instincts. That, folks, has been the entire Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's the beautiful thing about Christ. He's honest. He said, look, when we side with him, the world's going to side against us. So he uses this word 
in verse 14 in this passage where he talks about it being hard. It's the same Greek word you see translated elsewhere in the New Testament as tribulation or affliction. Jesus says, look, it could be hard taking that road. It, it could be demanding. It's maybe going to be costly. You may have to take it on the chin sometimes. About this time in the <laughs> reading this passage, I'm going, okay, if I were Jesus and I've only got like a couple shots left to get my point across, is this the way I'd actually want to, is this way I want to end this message? Is this where I want to go with this? I mean, wouldn't this be the time for a really great salesman to come in and close the deal? You know, Captain Happy Pants shows up. Come on, come on, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Just think positive, be cheerful. Everything's going to work out great. That is not what Jesus does. His closing, to me, would seem to be no more effective than this defendant. I think I've got, oh, we're dead? We're dead. Okay, I've got a slide up here. If you look really, really hard. Yep. Uh, this, what a bummer. That's a great slides for you. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a, there's a guy who's on trial, and, he, and he's, he's decided to be his own attorney. And he, as a, as a defendant, is making his final closing remarks. Here's what he says. Please find me innocent of all the crimes I've committed. I love that, he, that Jesus never does do the bait and switch thing with us. He's real clear up front about the life he's calling us into. Right? Third thing, because the gate is narrow, because the road is hard and demanding, Jesus says this, few will find it. Pew Verse, the Pew Survey, I don't know if you saw it last year, it made all the national news, it made the Wall Street Journal, it made the New York Times, it made the Washington Post, written up several days at a time. Uh, basically, this massive survey done last year that shows that the number of Americans calling themselves Christians dramatically dropped by millions. And a huge increase in the number of people calling themselves nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. Sharp rise in the number of people Call it, that say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. So millions of Americans are shifting from having some, some religious affiliation to none. And the nuns have, in fact, surpassed, in, the, in terms of the rating, uh, Catholics in this country. So you have the evangelical Christians at 25%, and all of a sudden, boom, 23% of America says that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Right? Now, it's a kind of a big deal. You look at those numbers, and you go, my gosh, is the church dying? Are all these Christians really walking away from Christianity? Not really, see, because America has been influenced by Christianity since its founding. The church had a privileged place in society from the beginning. The church helped determine, you know, the mores and values of society. Uh, theologians would say that the church worked hand in glove with the schools and the government to kind of uh, instill Christian Judeo ethics. So we kind of all grew up, many of us, with kind of a God, country, family kind of ethos. And a lot of people who claim to be Christians kind of agreed with those basic uh, values. But that's not necessarily genuine Christianity. Russell Moore, who's a leading evangelist and theologian, he kind of wrote this in response to the Pew Survey. I just want to read some of the stuff he says. He says this, people, claim to be Christian, cl people claiming to be Christians who aren't are disappearing. And that's great. For much of the 20th century, especially in the South and parts of the Midwest, one had to at least claim to be Christian to be considered normal. If you were going to run for office, you didn't want to come out as an atheist because society held to this Christian Judeo value system. It wasn't safe to come out as an atheist or an unbeliever. So being a Christian in the past was kind of normal, accepted. But those days are over. 
and good riddance, he says. Christianity isn't normal anymore, and that's good news. We do not have more atheists in America. We simply have more honest atheists in America. Again, that's good news. Russell Moore says, we should not worry one bit about whether our society is becoming anti-Christian. Why? Because Christianity flourished in a Roman empire that was absolutely hostile to the whole concept of a crucified and risen Messiah. Christianity's been on the wrong side of history since Rome, and it still proves strong enough to turn the world upside down. God's truth in America is not dying. The true church is simply being revealed. What is dying is the concept of someone calling themselves a Christian who isn't. And that's happening because being a Christian isn't popular anymore. See, this is what Jesus is basically saying. You either take the broad road or the easy road or the narrow road and the hard road. But there's no third way. And we've had a third way in our country for so long, Russell says, where you can wear the label of being a Christian and not have any of the reality. Those days are disappearing. Now, for me to you, this is, I think, some good news because the surge exists in large part to reach out to the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The good news is that the numbers of nuns are on the rise, so we're perfectly positioned. Matt Chandler, one of my favorite pastors out in Texas, says this, it is far easier to share the gospel with someone who knows he's not a Christian than to share it with someone who's not a Christian but thinks that he is. So let's live lives that testify to how great God is. And maybe in doing so, recapture kind of what it really means to be a Christ follower. Let us be a safe place here at The Surge for people to struggle, to ask questions, to doubt, to kind of test drive, kick the tires, to push back on this whole Christianity thing. Um, now there's just more and more people coming out of the closet as not being, being Christian, maybe admitting they never knew Christ at all. Maybe we can recapture the genuine message of the gospel and live lives that actually show that we believe it. Now, we're not going to bargain with people. We're not going to shade the truth. We don't want to widen the gate and soften the road because where the Bible is believed, where Jesus Christ is preached as God's Son who came in the flesh, who was sinless, who was our substitute, who died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins, who was buried, who rose from the dead, who ascended to heaven, who was ruling, reigning, and one day returning to make everything new when he is proclaimed and believed. The church utterly flourishes. And Jesus is continuing to build his church. And we're told the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not changed. That's why I think there's an apparent contradiction in Scripture, because you're reading this thing about the hard road right here, right? But if you flip over to Matthew chapter 11, you're going to hear Jesus say this weird thing that seems to be in complete contradiction. He says this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, I don't know, maybe you have a question, maybe you don't. Maybe you're thinking about lunch, thinking about how to get that hour back. But my question is this, okay, Jesus, which is it? Easy or hard? Because you basically kind of confuse me here. And I think the truth is actually both. It, it's hard, right, to give up lordship of you to Christ because it's against our natural inclinations. Hard to be willing to take it on the chin, but Whose yoke are we putting on? Yours or Christ's? It's his work. You don't, 
you don't have to worry about the mantle of trying to lead anymore, of deciding anymore, of working things out for yourself anymore, struggling anymore. You rest in him. You follow him. You rely on his strength and power. Your soul, it says, will be at rest. You know what road you're on. You know where it's headed. You know the outcome. Jesus rules and reigns. You can be free in all that, including the outcome and the destination. Knowing how the story ends makes everything along the path just a little bit easier. You ever uh, want to watch a, a game of favorite sport? Nationals, you know, Redskins, whatever, Capitals. But you can't watch it because you've got to be doing something else. So you decide to DVR it. Or maybe if you're not a sports person, you have a favorite TV show and you really become accustomed, you really fall in love with the characters and there's a show coming up and you, and you know that there's something going to happen because of the previews that, that, that maybe somebody's going to die and one of your favorite characters might die and you don't know whether they're going to die and so you're worried about that. But you can't watch it because you've got to go do something else. So you DVR it, right? Be nerve-wracking to watch that game live, right? Because you don't know how it's going to end. Every penalty, every interception. I mean, you're, 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 go, you're, you're, you're going crazy. What's going to happen? Maybe with the show going on, there's all kinds of ups and downs, and you don't exactly know where it's going to end. Is, is your favorite person going to die, right? But you've taped it, see, because you're not going to be able to watch it because you've got something else to do. But you get ready to watch it, and you find out from Facebook, somebody blows the secret. You know the ending. You know how the game ends. You know your favorite character lives, right? Watching that show then is little bit different, isn't it? Becomes really easy. You don't worry so much about all the interceptions. You don't worry about the pendles. You don't worry about the injuries. You don't worry about the, the upsides and downsides. Because you know at the end of the story, your team wins or your favorite character survives. No matter what happens along the path, no matter how hard, no matter how, what the pain, you can rest because you, you've already taped it. You know it ends well. That's why the road is hard but the journey is also easy. Do you see that? Fourth thing I think Jesus is trying to get across to us. You know, you got Martin Lloyd-Jones talking, talking about the uh, tube in London. We got Metro here, right? You go through the turnstile one at a time, right? Mom doesn't bring you through it. Dad doesn't bring you through it. And up on the screen, I had this incredible picture of Tim Duncan committing an intentional foul. So imagine that. Just like Tim Duncan's intentional vow, each of us has to make an intentional decision about Christ. Jesus uses two words in this passage, find and enter. Find it, consider it, explore it, test it, ask questions about it. Is Jesus who he says he is? And listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you've never walked through that particular turnstile, this narrow gate of believing in Jesus and surrendering your life to him, we could not be more happy that you're here. Questioning, asking, we encourage it, explore. But here's where you need to start. Start with who Jesus is. Do not start with, hey, did, uh, who did Cain, who, who did, where did Cain get his wife? Or could all the animals have fit onto the ark? Those would be, in football, a false start, right? Start with where Jesus wants you to start, and it's with him. Who is he? Is he who he claims to be? Did he really die? Was he really God? Was he really buried? Did he really rise from the dead? And when you come to a place of absolute conviction about him, then you can start working on those other questions. They're all legit questions. And I'm going to tell you how easy that becomes once you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's, a, it's almost like the scales fall from your eye and you are for the first time able to understand and grasp the things of God in a deep, in a deep way that you couldn't before. So find it. Enter it. And you enter it by faith. You don't prove yourself to God. 
You don't earn anything from God. You don't, you don't bargain with God. It's faith persuaded by the facts. So the challenge this morning, as we sit here, is Christianity merely a cultural thing for you? It's just about God and country and family values. So that's what this is. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it just a church thing for you? You're part of a church. You were born, you've been going to church since you was a little baby. Mommy was a Christian, daddy was a Christian. Church is part of your life. I just come to hang out with people who kind of have shared political, moral, cultural ideas. I got baptized one time. I'm trying to do my best to behave myself. Is that what this is? Or is this genuine Christianity? Like Jesus describes in this goofy sermon. Is it really about a crucified and risen Savior who is Lord over my life? Every aspect of it. It's about belonging to a kingdom that really doesn't have a political party. Sorry, Jesus doesn't show up in the debates, if you noticed. He's not part of this world. But we do have a Savior King that we follow at all costs along the narrowest of ways and the most difficult of paths, knowing that the outcome here is joy and the outcome alternately is glorious. Is that what this is really about for you? Because that is Christianity. And it is the only Christianity that exists. Everything else, folks, is just pretend. Christianity is a one-time decision to enter the kingdom and then an everyday decision to walk as a citizen of it. Everyday choosing to walk the hard way, to choose to side with Jesus against your own natural inclinations. That has been what Jesus has been talking about this whole sermon. And it's hard. But he's with us on the path. It's full of promises. And at the end of this road, what's there makes everything that we might experience while we're here on it seem light and momentary and totally worth it. I'll end with this. C.S. Lewis said this one time. There are better things ahead than everything we've left behind. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for getting in our face just a little bit. We don't like it, but sometimes we need it because, you know, we're kids and we need to be straightened out. Don't stick your hand in that electric socket. Don't put your hand on that burner. Don't pour hot oil on yourself. We need to be instructed just a little bit. Thanks, Reggie. As you close this message out, you're kind of getting in our face and asking, okay, make a call, make a call. It's not just information. It's life. Life and destruction, that's it. Two paths, two gates, two roads, two crowds, two destinations. As we get ready to take communion this morning, those of us who are Christians, would we actually ponder this fact? Are there areas of our lives where we're saying, you know, I, I, I like you to be my savior, Jesus, but I'm not so interested in you being Lord. I, I want to do my own thing. I'm going to live like I want to here, 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 and here. Uh, yeah, I take some and leave some. If you haven't, you haven't fired all the board members. Maybe we need to confess that to you. Line up with you more. If you really are the king, let us walk that way. If there's somebody here, maybe, Lord, that doesn't know you, and they're saying, you know what? I'm intrigued by this whole idea. Maybe today's the day they'd say, you know what? I'm going to take that step. I'm jumping across. I'm jumping from the broad road over to the narrow road. That sounds too good to pass up. Jesus' invitation isn't all sweetness and light. It's going to be maybe difficult. But man, what joy is there? Pray that you would make that decision. Lord, have your way with us. Speak to us. Be among us. 
let us move in obedience to you so we might live life to the full. In Christ's name, amen.